Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musco and it's time for our weekend review. And it is a positive one. Newcastle won 3-0 against Cardiff to drag themselves out of the relegation zone. Um, first win at home for quite a while. First time we've seen Newcastle score um, a few goals, let alone three. All in all, guys, I know we, we did a, a mini podcast after the game on Saturday, but Lee, um, your, your thoughts and reflections now? We've had a couple of days to think about it. Well, they did exactly what they had to do. You know, if, had they not got this win, then we'd be even more gloomy than we have been in recent times. But they did exactly what they, they needed to do. They got the three points, the clean sheet, scored three goals, lots of good performances. There was a big debate over who should have got man of the match, which doesn't happen that often uh, at St. James's Park. So all in all, performance-wise, result-wise, absolutely perfect uh, but it cannot paper over the cracks uh, Newcastle still have work to do in the Premier League and obviously a lot of work in the next 10 days in the remainder of the transfer window definitely I guess that's the key point Mike Ashley was there sitting beside Justin Barnes and Keith Bishop Norley Charlie interesting enough I mean, we don't think there's anything in that other than he just he wasn't there but Mike Ashley hopefully doesn't see what that, that that result on Saturday that three 0 victory and think well why do I need to give Benitez any any money he's just won three 0 Well, just on the Charney point, I think he had a bit of a sore throat in the middle of last week, so I don't know if that contributed. I'm not sure if that's why he wasn't there, but I, I do know he had, did have a bit of a, a sore throat. In terms of Meg Ashley and Justin Barnes, what I hope they took from the game, if they watched any of it, because all the times it would seem to see them, they were sitting on the phone looking at, well, I don't know what they were looking at. Hopefully, yeah, potential transfer targets and their values, but. What I took from the game, look, this is not taking anything away from Newcastle because some people say I'm negative. Newcastle did what they had to do, 3-0 comfortable win, but they were against a Cardiff team who were up there with the worst teams in the Premier League era I've seen come to St. James' Park. The fact Newcastle are only now two points ahead of them and were behind them ahead of, going into the weekend tells you everything you need to know about what Newcastle still need to do between now and the end of the window and then between the end of January and the end of the season. They need reinforcements. The, the gap is starting to appear between them and the bottom three, certainly the, the two below, but Newcastle can't rest on their laurels. The, the next three games are very difficult and they need reinforcements just to lift everyone. I mean, Lee, the fact that Mike Ashley's back, you met Benitez after the game, talks of maybe a meeting this week, it can only be positive. But I guess the other side of the argument is that we've been here before, we've seen the helicopter fly in. It's really a, a time now, not just for action now, but if Mike Ashley is here for, for the foreseeable future, that he, he kind of builds this pattern where he acts all the time in the, in the right way for Newcastle United. Yeah, and from what I understand, he had a brief conversation with Rafa after the game. Uh, you know, was a congratulations were, were handed over from the owner, but I think Rafa basically was asked about transfers, and he said, "Look, then the day I've done my part, I've scouted the players." through his team um, I've submitted the list there's the list I've done everything that I can you know go in deliver for me um, it's your club at the end of the day you you have to you know you have to pick up the pieces if the club gets relegated that that kind of thing I'm not quoting them word by word I'm just sort of gen, generalising the, the, the flavour of the what I believe was the conversation and yeah you know um, Rafa's done his part and Mike Ashley now has to, to go out and deliver but again they're doing it too late you know what I mean it should have been done earlier in the month and if it had been done earlier in the month they might have more points on the board and they might be a bit more secure in the Premier League we'll get on to uh, a few names in a moment but interesting you mentioned the fact you know relegation it'll wipe the value off the club and Rafa's in a quite a unique position because for many managers if they go down they get a large proportion of the blame, if not all the blame, like some maybe, you know, given to the players. But Benitez is in a unique position because you would say that a, f- a fair proportion of, of pundits, of journalists, of, of the fans will only blame one man if Newcastle do go down. Well, that's true. And the look, Rafa Benitez has got critics. There are some critics out there who don't like his tactics and think that any other manager would be under massive pressure if they had the results that he would have. Some, some managers have even been sacked for these these results but the difference between for me the difference between Rafa and other managers is that he's communicated all the way through his tenure here he's he said it how it is he's gave great detail in all his press conferences I mean 
if Rafa does go, whoever comes in next will find it hard to follow because you've been in press conferences with the managers before. It, there's there's nothing like it. It's a very unique experience. You know, you, you go in there and you come out with lots of quotes. You come out there with lots of ideas. You come out over there with an understanding of, of what's going on at the club and why things aren't working if they're not working and why things have gone well if they have gone well. And I just think... It, I wouldn't want to be the guy who follows them in unless unless they're going to come in and win every game. Yeah, and I mean, you just have to look at the... I think the only way I could really compare it to it would have been if David Wagner had lasted the season at Huddersfield and if they'd gone down, no one would have been criticising David Wagner. The fact that he even brought them up in the first place and then kept them up. But Benitez um, has... He knows exactly how to play the position he's in as well. This is not. I'm not denigrating anything he has done because I think the job he's done the whole time he's been at Newcastle has been fantastic. But he also knows what to say, when to say it, and how to, as Lee says, get that message message out there. He's making it clear what the issues are. He's making it clear that he thought there should have been more investment in each of the last four windows or however long it is, and that Newcastle aren't doing things right in his opinion to do with infrastructure, the academy, and that because of all this survival in his view uh, will be a success this season I think saying it would be a miracle was taking things a little bit too far um, I'm not sure if he himself would backtrack on that now because I don't think that was well received at all in, in any quarters but it will be success for Newcastle to survive this season because of all you just have to look at net spend transfers everything to do with that and also just the situation at the football club you've got no one who wants to sell a manager who hasn't committed his long term future yet all of these things uh, have added up to to confusion off the pitch and, and really the fact that Newcastle are now outside the relegation zone has to be seen as a positive given everything that's gone on. Most certainly. I mean, what do you think Benitez would have said to Ashley? Because we, like you say, he's, he said pretty much all the criticisms out in the open to the press and we all know that he's now not talking about transfers, but that in its own way paints an interesting picture. I mean, do you think Benitez would have wouldn't have held back he would have, he would have gone with both both balls and said look this is what i want this is what we need you know and it is it is down to you i mean i don't i don't know the ins and outs of the conversation lee knows them more in detail than i do but what i would have thought he would have said is, is exactly that look these I've, I've laid out exactly what i need now it's just words aren't going to help it's about action i need to be delivered players over the final 10 days of the window and i'm sure that if there was a if there is to be a face-to-face meeting if that does happen then he would say similar things as just say, look, I, I'm, I'm not interested in talking anymore. I just, look, these are the positions we need to fill. These are the players we've looked at. Go and make sure that I get at least some of them by the end of the week. Yeah, it is It is about what is going to be said in that, that meeting, basically. It's, you know, it's not going to be like the pizza summit where, where it was just a complete pantomime. People trekking to Pontyland and journalists looking through windows where people are, digging into the pizza and all that kind of thing. It's just a complete farce, really, if you if you think about it. It wouldn't happen at any other football club. So, But it happened here, and this time they, they've got to do it behind closed doors. Don't even make a big deal about it. Just get the conversation out of the way. Get the players signed. Get whatever money needs to be sanctioned. Get it sanctioned. If there's talk about the contract, get that done behind the scenes. Then come out and present what you've done to the supporters. And it's as simple as that. We don't need... We don't need the whole pantomime of of Blumen going up to Pontyland and in restaurants and the, the venue getting changed at the last minute. It's all unnecessary drama and wasted energy. I mean, do you think that the situation it you know this it can be saved because we are I would say we're, we're realistic about Rafa's future on Tyneside at the moment. You'd be hard pushed to find a journalist who is wavering on him signing on rather than not, but. If he gets a few signings over the next couple of weeks, he then sits down. This dialogue with Ashley is more flowing. Is there a chance that he might think, okay, at the very least, I will sign a year's contract and see where we're at? Or do you think them bridges have been burned? Well, I think the first thing that has to happen is that players are signed in in the next ten days. That that's the first step. Uh, if they're not, then I would highly doubt that his future is going to be here unless there's a series of written assurances uh, put into the contract and ways that he can potentially get out if if things aren't you know if promises aren't delivered I think it's very complicated I think that there's a there's a lack of trust on both sides uh, Rafa 
feels he's been let down in the last four windows. From what I understand, Ashley feels that not all of the signings that were, were made were success stories. And whenever Rafa points to a player that he wants, he gets directed back to a Lazar or a Hanley um, or or whoever. Even even if these players, you know, could have been done. I mean, Hanley was sold, made a, they didn't make a profit, but they got most of the money back. Lazar's kind of in the reserves at the minute. Uh, they got the money on sales, didn't they? So you you can't get every single player right, can you? No, you can't. And um, just in, interesting, Rafa hasn't spoken about transfers. And the only way we've really gone to see anything was on Friday. Asked asked a question about players playing out of positions. Asked him about Cher, could he play midfield long term? And then also Richie playing wing back. And there was just a part of his answer. Well, all of a sudden, Rafa went, "Well, I have to play, basically I've had to play Richie wing back because I've wanted a left." back for three years and you haven't signed one and so this is this is that is crucial to the contract situation I, think. I, I don't think it's necessarily that he expects Newcastle to go out and sign three 20 million pound players but he needs to know they're going to at least strengthen in the positions where he thinks they really are short because he's wanted this that they keep pointing at the Lazar situation he doesn't rate him yes he signed him in the first place he doesn't rate him he's not going to get into his team he needs another offensive left back as Newcastle even said themselves in the fans four minutes they were open about it then that that was one of the positions that they'd look to strengthen in the summer didn't and they would be looking to potentially strengthen this month well 10 days left let's make sure there's, there's someone in that position because particularly now with Benitez playing this formation as he has done the last few weeks he needs a designated left wing back I mean the search for a left back that was being going on you'd argue probably before Benitez time probably before McLaren's time this isn't just a a Benitez issue is. It? I mean, this is a this left back search you could argue has gone on for what four, five, six seasons, maybe. Well, well, I think at one point there was probably too many left backs at the club. Remember that game at Southampton where Newcastle got to be four 0 and everyone was having uh, go up pardy because you had three left backs on the pitch at the same time. Dummett, Santon, and Hidara. Yeah. So we've gone. We've gone the other. We've gone the other way. <laughs> yeah, but. Lazar's a good case in point from, from what the board are saying and I don't necessarily agree with this but they keep saying Rafa go well you've got a left back we're paying Lazar has been paid £35,000 to train with the kids uh, putting some really interesting Instagrams out there one of them running around the streets of Pontealand the other day uh, you know trying to make the point that look I'm fit I'm ready I'll, I'll play if you want me to. He's registered as a player at the minute. I mean, he can't get looking. You're right there. I mean, he's Instagram. He's always in the in the gym after training and his own personal gym or wherever he is in, in town or whatever, you know, working, well, it looks like he's working hard. I know it's easy to say Instagram. You've got a 10 second window to show up, but it does look like he's putting in the effort. So, I mean, what is the He's done okay there? in the reserves as well. When he's played, there was one game where he was horrendous against Middlesbrough. He got 10 out at half time and, and he was really off the boil that day. But other than that, and I know it's a reserves, but I think he's got four assists in the reserves. So look, I know it's reserved in football, but you know, it's it, it, it's a miss. All I'm saying is, is, it seems a bit of a mystery that you've got this guy who's really fit. He's played in Serie A. Um, Newcastle need left back. The current left back's injured, and this guy can't get a look in. It's just totally strange. It is very strange, and it, but from an early, I think from very early once that signed Lazar Benitez, doubted. The signing when he first came, he had a bit of an injury, and then he just couldn't. I think there's a, there's a bit about the physicality. I think he's not sure if he can cut it in England in that regard. And I don't think mentality wise, he's necessarily the sort of player Benitez wants. I don't mean he's a disruptive atmosphere uh, player in the dressing room or anything like that. I just mean in terms of the type that he's looking at. If you compare him to say Matt Ritchie, he's not that vocal. He's not the sort of person who's going to drive the team forward. And and that one essentially, I think he's burned his bridges with. He's, the thing with Benitez is when a player is out of favour. It's very hard to get back in once once that's happened. I can't see Roland Aaron, someone like that, getting back in. We had the same with Mbemba and Mitrovic. Rob Elliott now has decided isn't part of it. Tim Crow. Jack Colback. Jack Colback, yeah, exactly. So these are examples of when a player is... When Benitez has made his mind up, There's all, it's almost impossible. There's very little these players can do to really get back into the fold. There'd have to be a serious injury crisis. And I mean an absolutely serious injury crisis fashion after Lazar to get back in the team because you just have to look early in the season when they basically didn't have anyone fit to play at fullback and he wasn't even considering Lazar as, as an option then that shows you how far the peck, down the pecking order he is well certainly you mentioned Grant Hanley then that's often held up in, as an example but I mean is it that's a bit unfair because even though he didn't really play that many games he did fill in when needed and did alright but also it was the experience he brought to quite a young side that 
the likes of him and he did okay when he came on yeah, yeah. and I think I remember one, Newcastle won the league in the end by a, an absolute head didn't they basically and uh, that I think at Brentford I think Hanley played in that game and he the, remember I think there was something silly like 11 minutes of stoppage time yeah it was age because there was injuries and setting off and they were just pounding balls in and Hanley was clearing it every time so Rafa will argue back saying, well, I used Hanley and then this is the game where we got the three points that got we promoted. So that's, that's where he looked at it. But the interesting thing, just slightly edging back towards Lazar and Elliot as well, what you've got to remember with the modern day footballer, they're on such long contracts. I think them guys have got another couple of years left on the, on the deals um, and they're on really good money. So they're not going to go anywhere where they're going to get paid less. And the way they look at it is they think that they can outsee the manager in terms of their tenure and, you know, wait till the next manager comes along, see what it's like. Famously, uh, well, not that famously, but uh, when Benitez got the job and he called them all in for training that day, if you remember, two of the first people to turn up were Marvo and Obertan. And although they didn't end up having features at the club, they knew another manager might give them an, another chance of another contract. And they were the first two to turn up after being exiled by um, Steve McLaren. So, you know, it can, it can work that way. So Newcastle got a problem there because they, they might want to get rid of Lazar, but if he doesn't want to go, then he's just going to sit on his big contract and have, have a luxurious life. Why then, Chris, has it taken, and um, I'll emphasise the point, yet again taking this long as we've seen before we saw last January for Mike Ashley to act for Newcastle to act because last January we had to wait until deadline day to sign three players in on loan and it looks like I know there's still 10 days to go but it looks like we're going to end up in a similar position where we are literally going to be waiting for the last few days for something to happen well Kennedy actually signed it was the 23rd I think so we're two days behind the way we're recording on the 21st so we're two days behind when Newcastle made their first signing a year ago but that was a deal that Benitez wanted the summer before but that was partly to do with Chelsea in fairness but also Newcastle didn't get it done earlier this month I think partly early on was A. Magashi was away and regardless of we keep going on about this keep saying he isn't involved day to day run of the club but some, some a deal like Almiron for example that was never going to get the get go until Magashi ratified whatever money he would has be a involved. mobile phone surely doesn't matter where he is Does it, well well, this, this is true but he, I mean he, his concern at that moment in time is not Newcastle United his concern is, is uh, probably which other business. how's the Fraser exactly Debenhams yeah. HMV we, Newcastle <laughs> fans think that, Mike, that to make Ashley Newcastle should be top of the priority list unfortunately the reality is that, that it isn't it, it, it it's it's probably it's certainly third fourth fifth down the line of, of, of what bothers him I mean HMV is the latest one now this week um, so I think the fact that he hasn't been around hasn't helped now with the takeover now I think that he realises that Kenyon is unlikely to buy the club in the short term he's going to have to act I think he's seen the perilous position they're in and thought actually I may need to do something now so in terms of permanent signs I think that's been part of the major issue slightly different I think is the loan situation yes they probably could have got one or two in by now but the majority of clubs that Newcastle spoken to my understanding is have said if you're going to sign someone on loan it's probably going to be towards the end of the window the reasons that the reason that that happens is usually you look at say the Chelsea Higuain situation that's going to create a domino effect of transfers there elsewhere a lot of these players a wait to see if they can get a permanent deal elsewhere and who's going to come in and loan for them, and b clubs wait to see if they can get signings in before letting someone out. So I think the the loan market's slightly different, and Newcastle will be active in the last ten days of the window. That's slightly different, and I do expect one or two to come in. Benitez would like three or four, but I think one or two. Uh, but yeah, permanent signings wise, it's just baffling, and it's the same thing every year. Lee, can you give the fans any hope that something is is imminent? Well, the people that can give them hope is the the ones that sanction the money. Uh, can can we say that they've made approaches? Yes, they made approaches. Have they put have they put deals together um, and put them in front of the board? Yes, they have. It's up to the board to press a button on it. So, as I say, Rafa Benitez told uh, Ashley pretty much the other day that I've done my part. It's up to you now. We can't we can't push this through for. For, for no fee it's up to you now to get these deals done that the onus is now on Ashley and Charnley to, to get the deals thrashed out do you think because we, we always say that you know protests and chance he's not that bothered he's not going to sell the club because of it 
But do you think that he sits there on Saturday, the third goal goes in, I mean, the chance were deafening. They had been deafening prior to that. But as soon as that third goal goes in, you know, the Gallagher end was just an uproar towards Ashley. Do you think a bit of him sits there and goes, I'm getting this abuse. Why should I, why, why should I bother, you know, putting my hand in the pocket? Well, to be totally honest, I think it, it, it mustn't bother him because he's been here that long now. And we've had this for, these anti Ashley chants started in 2008. It's 2019 now, you know, it's, it's gone on for a long, long time. I remember uh, the game against Ipswich um, in the promotion season in 2009-10 when Kevin Nolan, got, did Kevin Nolan get a hat-trick in that game, I think? I think? he did, yeah. And, you know, they were 4 up and they were still chanting against Ashley and I think that surprised him at the time. But now, I just think he's totally used to it and it's just, to him, it's just water for Doug's back. Whether that's right or wrong, um, I don't know, but it's it's up to him to... It's up to him to make his mind up. What, what does he want? He, we get the impression that he wants to be um, made to feel more welcome. That, that's that's for, for certain. And if he's, you know, people behind the scenes say, if he's made more welcome, then maybe he'll dip his hand in his pocket and spend more. But it's easy saying that. He's got to dip his hand in his pocket first to then be made more welcome, I guess, well, is the way, the way to do it. Yeah, I mean, Keegan said it famously, didn't he, years ago, saying you've got to give the fans what they want. Now, you can't give them everything they want, but... You've got to give them players. You've got to give them a manager they want. You've got to give him his contract. And if even them two or three little things that should be simple for a club owner, if you give them that, then it's a different different atmosphere altogether. Do you think, uh, Chris, in time, I mean, obviously we talk about the transfer window here, but then he's caught on Benitez's contract because do you think in time both parties will kind of maybe concede a little bit of ground and we'll get down to business and something gets sore? Because we've been here before in many ways, I mean, only Newcastle could have a uh, need to give a statement out to confirm that their manager who'd signed a three-year contract was staying for the second year. I mean, we've been here before when there has been these kind of little bits of uh, tension. Do you think that we'll be in the same position and come the summer and we'll see, you know, some ground conceded? Well, it, it's a good question. It just depends on what happens in the next 10, 14 days, I suppose. I mean, my opinion, and it's been my opinion for a long while, is that Benitez and Ashley need to sit in a room together, not just about transfers, although they need to do that, but in general about everything. And they need to sit there and say, this, this Benitez needs to lay down again, as he has done many times, this is exactly what I want. And Ashley needs to say whether he can deliver or not. And then that's the only way they're going to come compromise. If it is just... Been there, they've done that before, well, they have they? done that before, but that didn't come to a conclusion. So they need to sit down. And, and for me, there just needs to be a definitive decision before the end of the season. I don't think we can have the, the typical situation we have at Newcastle United, which we had in the summer of 2016, albeit that was slightly different because Benitez had to make a decision then because he didn't know whether he was going to stay. But then we had it in 2017 when they had to release a statement then after promotion, uh, after they had held a meeting. We can't have it going into the summer. And Newcastle fans deserve far better than that, regardless of what a division Newcastle are in, hopefully in the Premier League. They need something sorted before that stage. There needs to be an air of certainty in some regard of the football club because at the moment we have it nowhere. And uh, at the moment, Newcastle haven't done anywhere near enough to convince Benitez to stay. So at the moment, you have to say that the odds are on, on Rafa Benitez leaving. But I don't think the situation is completely unsalvageable. I think it's going to be very difficult because the relationship is broken down so much. But the fact Benitez is still here says to me a lot and says to me that there is still a part of him that wants to stay. He just needs to be shown that if he does stay, things can be different. And at the moment, he's had no indication along those lines. I mean, I, I agree exactly what he's saying. I just think that what will happen is it's just like Groundhog Day. Yeah. And if if Rafa goes, he'll, he'll move on. And if he brings it, they'll go bring someone else in who's more, I don't like to say yes man, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Who will go along with their the blueprint and the policy that they want to do and there'll be plenty there'll be a queue of people who who'll want that job and who'll say yeah I can work with them conditions yeah. and that, that's what that's what you fear could happen and there'll be, probably be a queue of people for Benitez uh, I mean if you look at for instance this is my opinion but I mean the Leicester job you, you'd be very surprised if Puel's in that job come the end of the summer because you know he's, he's having ups and downs I mean come the end of the week well, maybe yeah I mean there's been talk you know with the the collapse against Wolves and people say, oh, Leicester's not a passionate club, it won't fill Benitez's ambition, but they like to spend money. They've got ambition to be a top six side. 
Well, I think ideally Benitez would like it to be here, but but I agree he's going to if it comes to a point where he just thinks I, I can't I can't take this club any further in the the current way that it, current guys that it works, he will look elsewhere. He'd like to stay in England, so then a, a job like Leicester probably would be quite attractive. And there, are, I don't see him getting one of the top six jobs. So a club like Leicester, someone who could potentially just about break up and there could certainly realistically target a cup. I can see that. The point of view, I agree what Lee says about the, the blueprint. The one thing that I would say is that if, if Newcastle United want a manager who is just going to follow that blueprint, that's not going to be Rafa Benitez. He, that has been evident over the last three years. Now, I don't think they should stick as rigidly to that uh, blueprint. But if that is the model they're going forward, then... I'm afraid Rafa Benitez is not the man who's going to stick to that, and and that so they need to decide between those two things. Either this blueprint has within it the the parameters to be shifted, otherwise Rafa Benitez will leave at the end of the season because that though they, they're not the conditions he wants to work under, and I, I think that it's, at the moment you've just it's trying to fit square pegs into round holes, and the two things just aren't compatible in that regard. Back on to transfers, then. I mean, I suppose they. The matter becomes that bit more pressing given that Ki Sung Young's left his training camp with South Korea due to an injury. We don't know the full extent of the injury, but given that Shelby and Diarmi have also been injured recently, I mean, Hayden wants to go. I mean, that's just one of the positions, never mind the left back position. But, you know, a few more injuries to this Newcastle United side, and then we're, we're back in the doom and gloom. Yeah, well, the, the key situation is just. Everything Newcastle feared has, has come true. They didn't want to send them out early to begin with. They asked uh, the South Korea manager, can we have a bit longer? Um, can we get them through the two Christmas games? And point-blank refusal. Uh, he's gone there early. Uh, he's ended up getting injured. He's going to probably be out. Well, if he's if he can't play in the rest of the tournament, I think the final's at the start of February, isn't it? So there's, there's 10 days, two weeks straight away. Uh, then he'll have to come back and do his rehab here. So it could be could be a while. So it's another injury problem for Newcastle. But as you say, they need to bring in two or three players anyway. So that doesn't really change. It doesn't change it too much. It just puts more pressure on it. It also exacerbates the Isaac Hayden situation because Hayden was only ever going to leave if Newcastle A, key came back early enough and B, Newcastle maybe brought someone else in. Well... At the moment, he's needed. He's playing. He was even rested for the for the Blackburn replay. Um, I don't see at the moment him his exit being likely, and I don't think uh, that the club necessarily do. Benitez keeps telling him he Hayden himself would certainly like to go, um, and I think the club have looked at a, a potential few ways that might be the case. Maybe loan them rather than selling them. But even then, they need a body in before that. And with Diarmi and Shelby having missed the weekend, and Key now being a doubt, I just I find it highly unlikely that. Isaac Hayden's going to leave. I mean, Hayden had a good game as well on Saturday, but when he's best in a Newcastle shirt and Longstaff, again, impressing. Um, we've got to them two in just a moment, but are you worried that Shelby's injury could be a bit more long-term? I mean, it is one of those injuries with kind of the thighs in it that might, you know, could, could tweak it any time. It, well, it is concerning just because it, it has, I think he's had it to almost the whole of the season. He's not played that much this season. And when he has played, he hasn't been anywhere near his best. It seems to be one of those ones that keeps recurring. A similar issue to Paul Dummett had a few years ago, whereby every few weeks he seemed to pull up when he came back. And they're frustrating, and I'm sure it's very frustrating for John Joe Shelby. I know that on a couple of occasions, privately, some of the backroom staff think that that Shelby himself has pushed himself maybe a little bit too hard to get back when he wasn't quite ready and he was telling him he was fine and then he pulled up. And so he's going to have to be managed carefully, but hopefully they can get him back on the pitch at some point. But I think it's better for them to say, look, you don't play for however long, X number of weeks to make sure you're fine, rather than you play, come back early and end up being out for the rest of the season. I think that they're going to treat it cautiously and given the form... Uh, that Sean Longstaff and to a degree Isaac Hayden showed the last couple of weeks thankfully that softened the blow a little bit although they can't afford another injury anywhere in midfield I mean we'll talk now about Longstaff and Hayden just before I give you some transfer names to talk about I mean Longstaff covered the most ground on, on Saturday for a young guy you know in the early stages of his senior career I mean he looked a really good player you know he wanted the ball he wanted to run into space he was, he was good going forward and also, I mean, to cover, uh, he covered eleven point six kilometers, uh, you know, just ahead of Isaac Hayden on eleven point four. There's my stats for this afternoon. But 
I mean, that that's a lot of effort because Shelby doesn't tend to cover that much ground. He's much more about the passing side, but it's good to see Longstaff essentially doing doing both. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I've seen a lot of them in the reserves. You've seen bits of them in the reserves. Uh, seen him come through the youth team as a, as a kid. For me, the way the way it's happened for him, which I'm delighted for, it, it's not a surprise. I, I think before Christmas, I said a couple of times in this podcast, you've got to give him a chance soon. Uh, and thankfully, he's had a chance, albeit through injuries. But that doesn't matter. He's in there. He's proved he can do it. Um, I think there's much more to come from him, even though he's done. You know, he's been pretty much eight out of ten every game he's played. Uh, I think there's much more to come from him because I know that at the minute they kind of they've got the defensive sort of shackles on him a little bit. Uh, he can get forward and he can have. A, he's got an unbelievable shot on him. So we've got a little hint of it at Blackburn with took a deflection, but uh, I think we'll, before time we'll see him scoring a couple of scorches for the first team. There's no doubt about it. We spoke just before the podcast, Chris, about maybe that bit more freedom that the midfield play with because maybe Shelby is kind of the, the man with the responsibility when he does play, everyone looks to him. But when you've got the likes of maybe Hayden and a, a long staff in the, in the midfield, everyone becomes a bit more free and it's a bit more of a, I don't want to say team game because that makes it sound a bit selfish on Shelby's part, but it's a bit more of a collective effort because you know Shelby isn't there carrying the responsibility on his shoulders well also on Saturday you have to remember that you had both Cher and Lejeune as well so you had a couple of extra ball players in defence who help out the midfield then and then it doesn't become as reliant they, the midfield can go and do a few of the other jobs cover the pitch whereas Lejeune and Cher can, can pass it out from the back and carry it a bit further forward so I think that does help um, and so Shelby hasn't played in, in that system but I just would, think would that, he fit in that position would he fit in that role because he does like to drop deep kind of regardless doesn't he and get the ball so I think he could I'm, I'm not saying he would play in exactly the same way as, as Longstaff did on Saturday but I think that there could be a place for him in, in that team at the moment but at the moment I, I wouldn't be looking beyond Longstaff I think he deserves another run I fully expect him to, to play against Watford in, in the FA Cup but even Tuesday evening against uh, Man City given that we're not sure yet how fit Diarmi and uh Shelby are going to be although I think he's probably looking at Diarmi as someone against Man City because they're probably going to look for more destructive force than anything else but I think Longstaff has shown that he, he can play that role and at the moment deserves to be in the team and I'd argue to a certain degree Hayden as well there's been a couple of dodgy performances in there but there's been a couple of games where I've been pretty impressed with, with Hayden as well considering the mindset he's in I think he's done he's done quite well in that, that pair it's not the most adventurous it's not the most defensive I think there's a reasonable blend there and at the moment, they deserve their place. Well, certainly. And I know you mentioned there, Lejeune and, and Cher. Um, I mean, great performance all around by them too. And, and Lascelles also back to his best. You know, we've said it We've said it quite a few times out. When he tries to play it out, he looks very vulnerable. He's, he's got a tendency to make a bit of a mistake. But when he's just the plain old, you know, just get the ball out, you know, get your head onto it. He, he's a much better defender. Yeah, and Lejeune playing alongside him works really well. Lejeune, what a wonderful passer of the ball he is and had, I think it was 50-odd, 53, 54 passes at the weekend and every time he got the ball, you you, you just sent that little bit of calmness around the stadium. Uh, as you say, Lascelles, a bit more of a, someone who'll get, just get rid of the ball, basically wins a lot of headers, got the flick on for Scher's second goal, had a really good game as well. Um it was one of many good performances on the day. Where does Fernandez fit in then? Well, we've said it all season that the one position, even when Lejeune was injured, that Newcastle have blessed with options in centre back. Very few other positions you can see away, then they've got real depth there. But they have five frontline centre backs plus Paul Dummett's played as, as a left centre back in that back three. So you've got six options. At centre back, you've got three who played the weekend. Fernandez, who arguably has been the most consistent player throughout the season, Kieran Clark, who's done very well most of the, most of the times he's been called upon. So Newcastle are blessed with options there, and, and it, I think it'll depend on the game as to who he plays. Where I think that the three on Saturday will work well in those home games when it is almost a bit more of an offensive system, and it would it essentially wing backs pushing on and, and the two centre but if you need a more defensive minded team you'd maybe look at Clark and Fernandez. but Fernandez could slot into the position Lascelles and he can also play either side although not quite as comfortable on the ball as Cher or Lejeune but I just think Newcastle it's it's nothing to when you say uh, where does Fernandez fit in it almost seems like a negative but for me that's a real positive because now Benitez has some real 
decisions to make, positive selection decisions to make at centre back. And you, I think just about any other team outside of certainly the top eight, but maybe the top six in the Premier League will look at Newcastle's centre backs and think at least one of those would get in our team. Most certainly. Just a word on Rondon and Perez. Um, I don't know if you can really use the word partnership, but both of them showed just how well they do work together. Um, not quite a, a Les Ferdinand Shearer, um, but the work ethic, brilliant. Rondon, you know, I think, well, I don't, I don't know about the stats, but he looked like every time he went up to win the ball, he, he got it. Um, he, they couldn't handle him in defence. He, he had a big guy marking him, but he just shrugged them off. Um, and Perez doing his what he's good at, you know. Again, maybe he doesn't always get the headlines he scored, but covering ground and making the runs and, and just being a general nuisance before he goes forward. I mean, that is what he's he's good at. I mean, Perez now on four goals, top scorer last season with ten. Uh, you know, at least he's he's getting back into things a bit. Did did well on the day. Uh, Rondon good performance as well. But for me, I think the man the match was. Fabian Shaw by some stretch and then closely followed by the likes of Longstaff and Lejeune. Um, there, was, there was a lot of good performances on the day. Was it a case, you think, of, um, I know Bruce mentioned about, I mean, Cardiff were, were woeful, but I suppose Newcastle have got to beat what's in front of them. Yeah, yeah as Chris was saying, you can't get carried away here. This, this is a Cardiff team that they get relegated. Will anyone be surprised? No. They're bringing players in because they know that if they don't do something... <laughs> They're going to go down, simple as that. Um, you could argue that for Newcastle as well, but I think there's already two worst teams. If you look at the, the table, Huddersfield are pretty much gone. Fulham, yesterday, I mean, if that doesn't drain the self-belief exactly. out here, nothing does. Uh, so it's down to, you know, four or five teams vying for that one other place. Um, well, not vying for it, but trying to avoid <laughs> it. But in terms of Newcastle, will they get out of it? Yes, but only on the basis that the worst teams out there and you guys have got a decent a decent team a decent squad but they're, they're just again the two or three injuries away from it being a complete crisis and that with Man City and Tottenham coming next I think that's that's where you've got to look at it There's, I think they need to find five more victories and I think they'll be alright I guess equally frustrating you say two or three away from injuries away from a crisis but you could argue two three four signings away from a a team that could probably comfortably finish mid-table. Well, they could do, but at the minute it doesn't feel like that. Um, 12 months ago, it didn't feel like it was going to be like that either and they, they managed to finish 10th. But it was a, it was a fortunate 10th place because I think the two places are on goal difference, weren't they? So, yeah, I mean, they're not thinking of mid-table at the minute, but they've got to get find them five wins out of the last 15 games, uh, which I think they're capable of, but it's going to be... A, a nervous running and there's not much more room for, for error but again even if I was speaking to one former player before the game who, who does the lounges at Newcastle and he said that he thinks that it's going to be the the lowest points tally to stay up this season and he was he he thought that even 30 points might be enough to keep you up this season well it, is, it isn't going to be a high points tally by any stretch I mean at the moment Huddersfield are on course to get in about 20 points or something and Fulham not many more the thing I thought that was important psychologically on Saturday was that Newcastle, the majority of their wins are going to have to come at St James's Park against those teams in and around them. They they haven't lost to any other team in the bottom seven, but they'd only played one at home in Fulham and hadn't managed to beat them. Then Car and Fulham were just basically as abject, well not quite as, but almost as abject as Cardiff were on Saturday, and Newcastle couldn't break them down. They found a way to do it on Saturday. To be fair in them, and that 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 was that was encouraging. And it, psychologically, I think that is that is important going into the next. They've got Huddersfield at home next month. Then they've got Burnley still to come. They've got Palace and they've got Southampton. Realistically, given the the other games they've got, you'd say they're going to need to win three of those four, if not all four of them. And so to have got over that psychological hurdle was important. Albeit they had a lot of help from a Cardiff team who. I mean, I don't, I can't remember a proper chance that they had. Yes, a couple of times in the second half, they might have got in behind Matt Ritchie and got a couple of crosses in. But, I mean, Dubravka didn't have a say. He had one, apparently one save to me. I don't even remember what that I was. I can't remember, no. Yeah, it was, it, they, they were Well, they had one, one shot on target. Yeah, they um, were abject. And, uh, look, you're saying you can only beat what's in front of you. That is true. But on Saturday, it took somebody to, to spark the game. It yeah. took a moment and it was Fabian Scher who provided it and he kept it going and he was aggressive and 
he got the second goal. He paved the way to victory for Newcastle. Uh, so for me, without without his contributions, that game could have been a complete disaster. Could have been ended. Could end in nil nil. Uh, the Newcastle needed that moment because, as you say, I mean Fulham they didn't they didn't find it. But at, around about the twenty minute mark, you, you almost felt the nerves starting coming to St James's Park because like Cardiff have done nothing here, but Newcastle don't really look like scoring. I know Perez has had the chance; it was tipped over, but they needed someone to do that something a little bit different. And that's exactly what Cher did. Again, with a lot of help from a woeful Cardiff defender, just backed off him. But he actually had he he spotted the gap and he went for it and kept going and it, and it opened up. You've got to have someone who's, who's got that about them, and thankfully they had that on Saturday. And, but they need they need a couple of signs this month because they need somebody else who offers a bit of a point of difference. I think the problem with Newcastle is at home sometimes they are quite predictable. Kennedy hasn't been that spark that he was during the second half of last season where you knew he could beat a man or provide that cross the need to bring someone attacking wise in who's going to give them that so in those games you just have someone off as a little bit different and again going back to the sure thing I mean without that you know fantastic individual goal you where was the goal coming from before that yeah. there was a lot of lot of crosses Matt Ritchie put a few crosses in the box um, they tried to break them down Nobody looked like scoring until that that moment, and then for sure to get that sort of security goal in the second half. That's that's what paved the way for, for the victory. I mean, Rondon didn't as well as he did holding the ball up. Didn't have one shot on target, mm. so you know he lost the ball a couple of times as well. Um, I'm not saying he played bad. He held the ball up really well. He was a presence. He gave. He was a thorn in the side of the the Cardiff defence. But without Sher on Saturday, I think you know you, we we could be struggling. We'll finish then with a few questions from our listeners, but we'll start with just a few names that have been mentioned. Um, Lee, we'll start with Annie Carroll. I know you've done an update on that on the web, so we'll uh, we'll let you start with that one. Maybe you can tell listeners just. Well, the story with Andy Carroll is that he's been made available, um, and the price is two million pound. Pellegrini doesn't want to. It doesn't says he doesn't want to sell him, but he won't, he won't have any say. He's West Ham will decide. Um, Newcastle have already been kind of offered Carroll in an exchange for Shelby, which was completely rejected uh, straight away. Because why would you swap someone who's going to come to the end of the contract very soon, who's got an injury record, with someone who's still in contract and worth more in in John Joe Shelby? It's just a crazy idea. Uh, are Newcastle totally interested in Andy Carroll? I w- I don't think he's in near the top of the list. The age thing comes into it. The wage demands comes into it. The injury record comes into it. Um, that, that miss probably yesterday didn't really paint him in the best of lights. I mean, we've we've played football together and we've all probably missed a chance or two. But that one, I don't think any not of his us first one of recent times either. No. But, but then that might just be the, the the frame of mind he's in. You know, I mean, I think deep deep down, if you spoke to Andy Carroll, one it, it, it's a bit of a joke, isn't it? Every transfer window we get linked with Andy Carroll. We're not really linking him with him today. We're reporting that. His price has been slashed to the point of two million pound, uh, but deep, deep down, if he spoke Andy Carroll, and you know, I, I know him from his first time in Newcastle, and he absolutely loves the club. He was a season ticket all. He, he deep down, he'd love to come back and pull that black and white number nine shirt on and get goals again. But you know, this is now probably going to be if it doesn't happen in the next twelve months, it's probably not. It's probably never going to happen. Um, you'd think Newcastle would have the two million to sign him because. They haven't dipped in the thirty-five million pound they got from eight years ago by by the look of it. But on a serious note, um, doesn't look likely that one. Uh, Chris, um, left back from the Russian league, uh, Milad Mohammadi, um, Iranian international, currently playing in the Asian Cup and pressed um, in the World Cup, out of contract in the summer. Ports um, um, from Football Insider. Um, that Newcastle might go for a cup price deal this month? Well, it's not a name that I've heard of previously linked with Newcastle United, but in terms of looking at his background, his profile, he's a he's a left-back who can play in the wing, play left wing-back. So it is the sort of position, the sort of the type of profile that Newcastle are looking for. He's the sort of age they'd look at. But as I say, it wasn't one I'd necessarily heard before. I think that at the moment, they're probably more likely to make loan signings rather than permanent deals. But given that his contract is up at the end of the season, maybe they can get him for a cut price. But I'd say at the moment, I'd, I'd think they're more likely to sign a left-back slash left-wing-back on loan from somewhere on the continent. Um, Lee, another familiar name in Miguel Almiron. Um, I suppose 
it is kind of just where you report it was last week that we're just waiting for a fresh bid. But yeah, Newcastle haven't moved um, forward on that one. They, they don't like the agent fee, which we understand is £4 million, which is eye-watering. Uh, the, the agent fee enough is, is you know, it's almost the, the cost of uh, Hoslow, the agent fee. So... Um, then you're looking at the the trap. The, they've already bid once. It was a low bid in the eyes of Atlanta. Yeah, it's it's one where the, a dose of reality is required from the the people putting that deal together. And Newcastle don't seem to be the ones that that are going to budge. The goalposts will have to move significantly, I think, towards Newcastle in terms of Atlanta are going to have to lower the price. He's going to have to lower his wage demands, and the agent's going to have to significantly lower his fee. Uh, what it, what is a fair price to start player? I mean, uh, I mean, okay, so they're they're probably playing a bit of poker face and, and and waiting for a bit of a higher bid, and they probably have set their stall out a lot higher than is realistic. But we we know the history of Newcastle. We've seen it with Jorgensen last year. We've seen it with the likes of Cher and and, and Legier when they try to go underneath even the the uh, release clause fee. So what what is a realistic price that you think Newcastle should be paying? Ah. Uh, don't know where the market is at at the moment if I'm perfectly honest I can't I can't compare it to any other deals which are potentially being floated this month but I think that the likelihood is I understand Newcastle offered a roundabout in terms of pounds a roundabout the fee that they paid for Michael Owen so it'll be about 16, 16 and a half million pounds Atlanta are looking for closer to 25 million pounds maybe up to about 20 million I could see I could see you arguing that. I could. I think it needs to be a club record deal. Fair enough. So twenty million ish pounds, I think, would be probably a reasonable ish price. Uh, his wage demands he'd come out significantly once uh, six figures. I don't. I don't think he's going to get that. Uh, certainly not. As it's just a set part of his contract. Maybe he might get add-ons on top of it. And the agent's fee, I think, is is roughly about seven or eight times what you would expect it to be for for that sort of. Of deal, I think that the it's agent needs to come big out It's a big gamble. Yeah. The the whole deal is a big gamble because nobody knows if he's MLS football is at a certain standard. Mm. What standard it is compared to English football is open to debate. Some people say it's middle of the championship. Some people say it's lower. You'll get some critics saying it's it's as good as League One mm. football. I mean. Look at some of the players that have gone over there and been a success who weren't a success in this country. Bradley Bradley Wright Phillips scoring hatfuls of goals over there. Couldn't really do the business over here. Um, look, it's I know it's it's improving the MLS every year. It improves and it's getting better and better. And the stadiums and the fa- facilities are fantastic. And the off-field operations are brilliant over there. I've been over there in pre-season many times. Is as close to the Premier League standard? Sadly, it's, we can't say that at the minute. It, w- it will be in years to come, but at the minute, it's not. So, twenty million pound for an MLS player is such a gamble. And if he was that good, and if it was that much of a great deal, why has nobody else stepped in to sign him? The problem, the problem Newcastle have, and this isn't just the Almiron deal, is that the position they've put themselves in, and because it's so late now, any player they're signing is going to be a risk. Even if it's a loan player, cheap, it's going to be a risk because. A lot of the time you think about loan players, why is someone letting a loan player go mid-season? It's either because he's fallen out with the club, he's out of form, the manager doesn't like him, uh, he's a youngster, so you're taking a gamble in that regard. And all of them are going to, any loan player they're saying, unless they've been in England before, aren't going to have Premier League experience themselves. And then you compare it to the Almiron deal as well, is he got someone coming from the MLS, clearly has talent, can provide assists and score goals, but can he translate that into Premier League level? We don't really know, and even if he can, usually it takes a player six months to settle in. So Newcastle have put themselves in this position by having act in January, by not having done deals before, and that's why it's it, it, it against like Groundhog Day. They did the same last year. They got very lucky with Martin Dubravka, who was was a freak as someone high up in the club described it as in terms of the way that signing worked out. They had Kennedy, which worked out because he was motivated, but then they got Slomani, which was. Basically, a waste of a loan deal to be honest, because he wasn't even on the he wasn't even on the initial list, and Newcastle left it so late. So any signing they make, unfortunately, is going to be a bit of a gamble. Yes, indeed. And just finding the last name, Grigorad Defral, the uh, Roma striker on loan at Sampdoria, um, mentioned briefly, I think, by Sky Sports in the last week. Um, Thirty million pound deal touted, but I'm a hardly prolific goal scorer. 
I can't see Newcastle paying that for him. I can't see that being a realistic one in terms of permanent move. Loan deals, I can see them. They, they have asked a lot of clubs around Europe and I can see them getting it. As I say, that realistically, I think that if Newcastle are going to make signings, they're likely to be loan deals at, at this stage. I think they might get two, possibly three. Uh, and that's been, that's been very, very positive. But I, I, I don't see any real big money deal at this stage things could change but I don't see it at this stage I mean on that signing I that spoke to the players agent last week and he said there'd be no approach from Newcastle as much as the player would like to have a go at playing in England there's been no no offer so far it'll be a player that you know Rafa is well aware of because he's he scouts Serie A intensively he's got a great database of players um, I mean that that's a thing I mean with, you look at the, the Leeds manager last week he was going through all the detail of looking at opponents well you can definitely apply uh, that in, that same philosophy on transfers of Rafa he's obsessed he knows every single player that's why he's so frustrated because at the end of the day he, he keeps putting all these names to Newcastle and keeps getting snubs left right and centre so it's yeah, it as I say, the the work's been done on the scouting side. The work's been done on Rafa's side. They they can't push the button, unfortunately, to sign these players. If they could, they we wouldn't be sweating in the last ten days of the window. No, um, that's, we'll finish on a couple of questions then from our listeners. Lee, um, a few people asking what's the latest for the takeover. Um, so, <laughs> what is the latest for the takeover? Well, the takeover, as we reported on Saturday morning. Mike Ashley now losing patience with the Kenyan consortium could well, um, you know, make it clear that 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 deal is finished. In terms of, you know, talks they've gone on long enough now. It's been going on since September. You know, when do you draw the line on it? You know, um, is the club still for sale at the moment? Yes. Have they got any deals that are acceptable? No, they haven't. Um, public perception is that it's a PR stunt. Pff, reality is, it is for sale, but Mike Ashley won't drop his price, and he hasn't had a bid for the price he's asking for. So there you go. Yeah, and Chris, just to finish, James Norson asks, do you think Rafa will stick with a three-four-three slash five-four-one formation, or change it back to four at the back? Oh, I think it depends on games. I very much expect Man City next week will be a five at the back. Uh, it's, even though it's at James's Park, I think that that will be a defensive system, and he'll stick with three centre backs. But the wing backs will actually be quite defensive. If Paul Dummett does get fit, he may even play as the left back, as it would be in a back five. But depend, it'll be Rafa Benitez is quite willing to be flexible. That's one of the reasons he wants like a left wing back is because he wants to be able to be more flexible in the way Newcastle play. He, he sees, he looks at the opposition and he sees a how can we nullify their threat and b where can we exploit them? So I think that he will be willing to, to change the formation. But for the, for the time being, I think we're more likely to see three at the back. A, because they've got so many good centre-back options. And B, with Paul Dummett still being out injured and them yet to sign a, a, a left back, then they're going to have to really play that. Otherwise, you have to play someone like Mankiw. I just don't... I mean, he's right-footed for a start, and I just don't think he's quite at the level. Oh, you do. Well, thank you very much for joining us. If you head over to chroniclelive.co.uk, keep up with all the latest in the Castellet news. Uh, thank you very much.